Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. GVC is a non-denominational church in Flint, Michigan, and our mission is simple. To love God, love people, and love life. I know that you will be blessed by the message and the words that God has for you today. Now, here's Pastor Tony. Well, praise the Lord. I want to get into a message this morning. Uh, just kind of getting right into the nitty-gritty of things. And uh, the message title that God just gave me it was Separated. And so we're going to look at a couple different aspects this morning concerning being separated. Because it is the hour of separation. All right? So let's pray and let's just invite God to help us. God, in the name of Jesus, we ask you right now, Lord, that you would just anoint my words that you would anoint my voice, and that, God, I would speak directly as you would have us here today. God, this is such a divine hour. It is such a supernatural hour in the, in the hour of the church. And so, God, I pray that we have ears to hear and hearts to receive in Jesus' wonderful name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Well, to begin with, I just want to uh, share a story with you, if you can, and it kind of just will help set the stage for what I want to share this morning. But uh, my sister and brother-in-law, I don't think they're church-going people, so they're not here at church today, but nevertheless, I might introduce you. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. <laughs> They'll be here at some point in time. But they came in from Florida, and uh, it's been a number of years since they've been in Michigan, and so uh, we're so excited to have them with us. <clears throat> my my brother-in-law, he's up north hunting. Uh, my My brother-in-law and sister, they have... Uh, five kids, and they're ready for another one. Well, they're not ready. They, they have another one on the way. So it's number six, and, and they're hoping for that this, this, this last batch is going to be twins. And so it's like, well, thank you, Jesus. Bless you. <laughs> Bless you, you know. And so, uh, yeah, their, their family's growing. But anyways, I bring them up, not, not for the fact of just telling you about my family, but they are here, but my... Uh, Brother-in-law, oh yeah, this is another part of the story. That's why part of it. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, not only did they bring their five kids, they brought their bunny and three or four dogs. How many dogs they got? Three, three dogs. So they, I mean, they had a caravan full. And so, again, that's part of the story because my brother-in-law with his daughters and the dogs were out in the yard walking at my dad's house. And the next door neighbor has a a plot of land of woods and things of that nature, and, and they hunt back there. Well, so the neighbor's brother happened to be there, and I guess he's a little bit disgruntled at times, and so uh, he saw my brother-in-law walking with his girls, and their girls were like 14 and under, and then the two big dogs. And so he comes over, and he says, hey, he says, are you the one that's been hunting in my yard back here or something of that nature? And, uh, you know, you letting your dogs go back here on our property, and he happened to have a gun, so he pulls out his gun. He says, you know, we like to shoot dogs back here and if there's a dog on our property we're going to shoot him so he's just real belligerent and just kind of puffed up and just uh, kind of being threatening and so my brother-in-law being the guy that he is he's just real diplomatic you know and he's just real he talked his way you know talked the guy down that's just kind of his gifting you know and so everything was good as it departed but then afterwards we started talking and we all started thinking about it. it's like man you know this guy just really has a lot of nerve you know showing his gun and just kind of making threats and so my dad, again, if you just know my dad, I mean, my dad's 70-some years old, you know, getting, getting up there in age. He's still young, but he's getting up there. 
Well, my dad's nature, you know, he's got a cowboy hat and got some cowboy boots and stuff. And so I can only envision that my dad probably put his cowboy hat on and got his boots on or something. But when my dad heard about this, he goes out into the yard and starts walking up and down the side of the yard, hoping that the neighbor sees him. Because he's like, I've got something to say to you. Uh, can you see me? I'm walking over here. <laughs> Dare you to say something to me. And so what was he doing? As a dad, this is the point of the story, is as a dad, even though he's 70-something years old, he's like, hey, you just threatened my son-in-law and did it in front of my granddaughters and my granddogs. And he says, uh, I'm going to go out there and have a word with you. And dad wasn't thinking of his age at that time. He just said, you know what? This is my property, and, and you're making threats on my side of the property. And if I need to, I'll come over there and show you a thing or two, right? Well, why did dad do that? Because he is a father that cares about his kids. And if there is going to be a threat against his children and his grandchildren, you're going to have to go through me first, Right? And he didn't just wait, sit idly by and say, well, I'll take care of it tomorrow. Or I'll go over there and have a nice talk with him or I'll give him a call. No, he went out there right afterwards and started walking. This is my property. This is my boundary. You, you started to hurl threats over on my side. I, I, I've got something to say to you. So if our natural fathers, you as a parent, will stand up for your kids... Why do we think that God doesn't do that for us? <laughs> Once again, just knowing my dad, you know, my dad's just got a, a unique walk about him, but, you know, when he starts getting puffed up, it just amplifies. <laughs> you know, he don't, he don't walk that way. <laughs> got the John Wayne walk going, no. My point is, is that he's got a posture, Right? And, and guys, you know what I'm talking about. When you get riled up, it's kind of like, you know, you, you see the chicken. The chicken gets the, you know, feathers standing up or a dog, how their hair stands up. Us as men, we start getting puffed up, don't we? Chest comes out. You talking to me? You messing with mine? Why? Because you are making yourself look big because of the threat. Well, why do we think that God just sits back and says, well, you'll get over it. You'll learn something. Well, that's just the price it is for being on the earth. God's not that way, is he? God wants to get invested in your life if we'll let him. And there is a move of God in this hour that God is displaying himself in such a grand way. If we'll just let him. If we'll just avail ourselves. If we'll prepare ourselves for God to show up. God will show up and show off in this hour. Can somebody say amen? amen. Now, if I can, I want to just share with you for a moment. Just in the history of our lives. Or just, I guess, in the time frame in which I've been alive. There have been some moves of God. And again, if you've never been in church, you might ask the question, what do you mean a, a move of God? God has always in history moved supernaturally or moved in spectacular ways to really meet the needs of his people and purpose to connect with them so that they will come and draw closer to a relationship with him. 
Now, I wasn't born back in the 40s or the 50s, but back in the 40s and 50s, there was what was called the healing revival, or there was a move of God, if you will, where the, the, the Spirit of God or God was moving in such a way that they said it was so easy for people to receive healing in their life. In fact, there were ministers that had huge tents. They would call them tent meetings or tent revivals, and thousands of people would come to be ministered to, and and. The history shows us or tells us that people were miraculously touched by God. Now, as I said, I was not uh, alive during that time, but some of those men that were alive during that time, I've had as mentors in my life. And I got to sit and hear some of those stories of moves of God. And then in the early 70s, there are 60s and 70s is what we know as the, the Jesus movement. You remember that? Where, where people just started getting hungry for God. And then in the 70s, there was what was called the charismatic renewal. Uh, uh, it was where people were getting filled with the Holy Spirit. People were just getting hungry for God, and it actually started in the Catholic Church. And then in the 80s, there was what was called the Word Movement, or people were just hungry for the Word of God. And there was such a move of God to teach the Word of God and people were hungry, and revelation of the Word of God was being taught to where people just devoured and had a desire to know God. And again, God was moving in such a miraculous way. And then in the 90s, in the 90s, there was what was called the, uh, uh, they called them Holy, Holy Ghost meetings or Holy Spirit meetings, where they would just get in the meetings, and it just seems like the very presence of God would show up, and just joy would be stirred up, and people would just leave being refreshed. And again, it was for several years that God was moving. And these are all moves of God that took place to connect God with His people. And then in the most recent time, in the 2000s, there was a movement, that, and some have criticized it, but it was a movement called the seeker-sensitive movement. Now, there are those that got in the ditch with it, but the seeker-sensitive movement was a movement to be sensitive to people's hearts that were hungry for God. And so churches began to be uh, uh, places where people could connect. People that had misconceived ideas of what church was started to come to church, and there was a bridging of the gap for people to really experience church. But here's the thing. With every move of God that took place within the earth, or just within our time frame, it seemed as though that God would move, and as He started to transition, people didn't transition or move with Him. Because they wanted what they were always getting, and they wanted more of the same. But how many of you know that God is not the same? He's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever in the sense of who He is, but He is progressive in the revealing of who He is to His people. And so therefore, God would move, and as a result, people didn't move with Him. They just wanted to stay st stagnant where they were. And as a result, God moved on, and the move stopped. Or you could say it died. How many of you know that when it comes to the presence of God or the Spirit of God, the Bible refers to, to God's presence or the Holy Spirit as waters or as rivers or as oceans or seas? And, and you realize that when it comes to uh, waters, or again, if you go out to the lake or the ocean, there's a tide, right? And the tide will come in, but how many of you know that the tide also goes out? 
When the tide comes in, it might reach where you're at and you might find that you get wet and saturated and you might play in the waters because the tide had come in. But when the tide goes back out, if you don't move with the tide, what ends up happening? You find that you're on dry ground and you're shipwrecked or abandoned, right? Because the water moved, but you stood still. Well, how do we stay with the waters? You just move with the water or you continue to move with where God's moving in the, in the hour that He's moving. And so again, relating back to what I was sharing with you, when you think about it, there has been a season in years gone by where it was so presence-driven, where the presence of God would show up and we love the presence of God. But the thing that happens, because we're praying for revival in this hour. God, we need a revival in the land. We need you to move in this land. And God is moving in this hour. But once again, in times past, it was always us seeking the presence of God. But how many of you know that when it comes to the presence of God, if He leaves and you're still wanting God to do what He's always done, but now He's transitioned, you're left being, being shipwrecked or dry because God moved. Does that make sense? And it was always a matter of, God, bless me. I want to get into your presence. God, I want to experience the glory. But do you realize that if all you do is go from meeting to meeting to where it's all, man, goosebumps and excitement and, woo, man, we just had a time. You don't grow spiritually just experiencing meeting after meeting. There is a foundation which God needs you to grow, and that comes in the local church. Does that make sense? And oftentimes, because people are just looking for the feeling or the sensation of the presence of God, they don't mature beyond just the experience of the presence of God. And if God lifts His hand, then we're still ended up being the carnal person that we were because we didn't grow in our faith with God. Are you tracking with me? All right, in regards to the, the, this program, because again, there's three things that we've seen. We see that there has been a presence-driven church. There's been a program-driven church. And the program-driven church is that program that has tried to reach people. We said there was a move of God that took place. And there's many people that came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in these last couple decades. And it's been built upon a program of saying, let's get people into the church. But again, one way or another, it seems as though we drop the ball and people don't grow in their faith with God. And so then when things come, because they've not grown in their faith with God, they get shaken. You realize that there is a shaking that is taking place in this earth. There is a shaking that is taking place in the church. But you cannot get shaken in the shaking. And the only way that you don't get shaken is by having a firm foundation of growing in your relationship with God. And like I said, we've seen God move in a miraculous way. People have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But once again, they haven't grown as they should have over the years. And then when things happen, the church is so easily cleared out. We've been praying for revival, but really what is taking place in this move of God right now is a reformation. A reformation where people are not saying, God, you come down and meet us. It is a people that are turning their face toward God and say, God, we want you. 
And it's because we are taking a turn and saying, God, we want you, we need you, we must have you in our lives. God is beginning to move. And this is the greatest move of God that this earth has ever and will ever see in this hour in which we're living. Now, why am I talking like this? Because the hour in which we're living, there is such a mass effort to destroy the church. And if the church continues in the manner that it is, the church will not exist in the days ahead. Are you hearing me? The church cannot continue in the direction that it is going and still have the strength, the backbone, and the voice that it has had if we don't take a stand as the people of God. And God needs a people, and there is a remnant of people that are purposing to say, God, we need you in this hour. So what is this move that is upon us now? It is not presence-driven. It is not program-driven. It is passion-driven. God, we must have you. God, we want you. God, we love you. God, we need you. Now, I want to bring to your attention... Some scriptures from the book of Joel. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 is a, or Joel is a prophetic book looking ahead to things to come. And Acts chapter 2, when the church began and when there was a move of God that was taking place, when the church began, Peter actually stood up and he uh, referred to this portion of scripture and he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. That God said in the last days he will pour out his spirit and move. But you realize that the portion that Peter addressed or made mention of is also attached to the entire chapter of chapter 2. So I want to bring your, to your attention beginning in Joel chapter 2 starting in verse 1. It says, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitation of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. He says, blow the trumpet. What was the trumpet blown for? It was to sound an alarm that danger is ahead. And in the blowing of the trumpet was a signal or a sign or it was a declaration. Not only is danger coming, in danger is upon us. The trumpet was sounded to say it is now time to assemble. And again, this is preceding when he said, In the last days I will pour out my spirit. I will move on all flesh. He said there is a time to assemble. Why? Because there is an hour of danger upon you. And if you do not understand or if you have not sensed that in your heart or if you have not heard that from me, hear it today. There is an hour upon us that is dangerous in the hour of the church. There is a war coming against the church to quiet it, to disband it, to, to stop it altogether. And God says, in this hour, in this time, it is a time to assemble. It is a time to come together. 
Notice what it says here in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. We're going to stay in Joel, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and stay there. But let me read this to you in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Listen to it very carefully. Because I just saw this this week for the very first time. You realize that the Word of God is alive, right? The Bible says that the Word is living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the soul and the spirit. It's alive, and I saw this for the very first time. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, I'm going to read it from the Amplified. It says, Who shall ever separate us from the love of Christ? Shall suffering and affliction and tribulation, or calamity and stress, or persecution, or hunger, or destitution, or peril, or sword? Did you catch it? Let me read it again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Everybody say that with me. Who? Who shall separate me? Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Then it goes on to say, Shall suffering, affliction, tribulation, calamity, distress, persecution, hunger, dissensions, or perils, or sword... So we skim over that first part and then begin to look at the latter half. And we change the who to a what. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall it be events? Shall it be things? Shall it be circumstances? But that is not what that said. It said, who shall separate us from the love of God? Has anybody been seeing within this earth right now that there is calamity, distress, there's things that are going on? It's real easy for us to say there's a what going on. But God said that concerning the what in which you see is tied to a who. And the who that is sending the stuff is trying to separate you from the love of Jesus. Are you seeing it? So all the stuff that you encounter, experience, the things that we're experiencing right now, it's not a what, it's not a thing, it's not a circumstance. It is a who that is trying to bring calamity to separate you from the love of God. But what he's asking is, is there anything or can anyone separate you from the love of God? In God's mind, the answer is no. But I'm asking you to ask that yourself. Is there someone, something, is there a who that can separate you from the love of God? Do you realize that the love of God, if we had an understanding of the love of God, it's not a matter of His... his uh, uh, attributes or attitude towards us it's who he is the bible says that god is love who can separate us from god but have we allowed in this hour to allow things driven by a who to separate us from god now i'm not pointing fingers i'm just saying have we allowed it to happen because i said the title of my message is separated God says, no one, there's not a who, there's not an enemy, 
There's not a devil behind any sickness, disease, calamity, poverty, lack, death, whatever it might be. There is not a who that can separate you from God. Unless you let it. The church, as we know, as I said, will not survive if we don't stand up. But you see, people have a whole different idea about that as well. Well, you know what? I don't need a church to be a Christian. Well, that's true. But if you want to be a strong Christian, you need the church. If you want to be a success, successful Christian, you need a church. Well, if this church don't live, if it don't succeed, well, there's got to be another church somewhere else. I'll find a church somewhere. But you realize that God appoints you to a church. He appoints you to a company of people because in that company, He needs you to be equipped with what you need to be equipped with because He's got a purpose and a plan for your life. Notice what it says over in Joel chapter 2, verse 8. Let me just back up, actually. He says that I'm blowing the trumpet to allow you to understand or to know that it, it is a dangerous time and it is a time to assemble. In verse 4 it says, There is an appearing like an appearance of horses and like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots over mountains, they leap. Like the noise of flaming fire and devourous the, the stubble. Like a strong people set in battle array. Now, as you read that, you begin to question, well, is that the foe? Is that, is that who's coming against us? No, that's you and me as the people of God. He says, when you assemble, he says, you become a mighty moving force. And then notice what it says here in uh, verse 8. It's in the end of verse 7, it says this. Every, everyone marches in formation, and they do not break rank. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Then, then they lunge between the weapons and they are not cut down. They run from city to city and they run to the walls and they climb the houses. And they enter the windows like thieves. And the earth quakes before them. What did it just say? It says, when you assemble, there is a column, there is a line, there is a rank, there is a place that you must take. Are you getting what I'm saying? Because once again, we are so cavalier in saying, well, bless the Lord. I, you know, churches are dime a dozen. If I go move out of state, there's got to be a church that I can find somewhere. No, listen, God has a place that he needs you to assemble at. Why? Because there is a column, there is a rank, there is a place that you must take your place. Because when we take our place, we can march as the army of God because there's a purpose and a plan for us to overtake. You're getting what I'm saying today. This is the hour that God is moving like never before. There is a move of God that is going to happen. That is happening. And the move of God in this hour is happening in the assembly of God's people. Now why am I talking so strong about this? Is because once again we are continually seeing the breakdown of the assembly of God's people. I just had somebody tell me this past week. Won't be coming back to church. Because our family said that because you're assembling with a, a group of other people, you become dangerous. And so they used it as a manipulation in saying, well, if you go to church, we're not going to spend time with you. 
We're not going to allow ourselves to be in your company because you are willingly putting yourself in harm's way when you go to church around people. Do you not realize that the body of Christ is the safest place for you to be? Why? Because when we're assembled together, it just said that we stand together as a mighty army and it says the earth quakes when we assemble together. Amen. Do you remember that the very scripture which we're reading is what he spoke of at the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2? And it says when they were assembled together, it says that the very foundation began to shake. Why? Because there is a move of God in the assembling of his people. And God needs us to come together. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? There is a move of God that God is moving in a supernatural way. Why does he want us to do assemble? Because again, it is the safest, it is the strongest place to be. It is the place where our faith is strengthened. Do you realize that when you come to church, you see, uh, you hear me talking about this, and I'm not saying that church is the end-all, be-all in your walk with God. No, it is the beginning. But you see, church begins to ignite our faith to grow together, and it's easier together to grow in that corporate assembly so that when I'm by myself and all hell breaks loose, I've had a jump start where the, prime, the pump has been primed when I've been together. Isn't that right? I, I mean, I, for those of you that are mechanical, maybe you, you are a builder or an electrician or something of that nature, I've always been real crafty with my hands. But you know, there's times where I've second-guessed myself, and I know that I got the answer. I know that I can get it done. But then I start to inquire of somebody else. Hey, what do you think? Hey, would you come and take a look at this? And just somebody coming alongside of me brings me comfort and peace of mind because they give me another word of encouragement to say, yeah, you're right on course. Or here's another way to look at it. And because I have the company and the assembly of somebody with me, it lets me do what I want to do with confidence because I have the assurance of somebody that was right there by me. By me. And that's what church does. You come in the assembly and you worship together. You get stirred together. You talk about the things of God together and you start to grow. But do you realize that church is a discipline? And like I said, I know that I'm going to be talking and I'm warning you. I'm giving you a heads up. For the rest of this year, we're going to be having some really strong conversations. Because it is the hour of the church. And please hear me, it is not one to be hard or critical. It's because God loves you. It's because I love you. And it is the time for God to move. But as I was saying, coming to church is a discipline. And it is a discipline to respond to God to say, it is the Sabbath and I choose to keep it holy. You have seven days out of the week. That's 168 hours that you have. And therefore, there is approximately an hour and a half that you give once a week to God. But how many times do we wrestle with that and bargain with it and say, well, you know, I went two weeks before. I think I'm going to take this hour and a half. When you had 168 hours already or 165 and a half. 
It's a discipline to say, I'm going to come to church once a week for an hour and a half out of my 168 hours, and I'm going to honor God, keep the Sabbath holy, and worship like God has asked me to do. I'm coming into His presence because I seek God and I love God. Right? Now, why do I say that? Because that is crucial for you to be strong in this hour. Because if you don't have a discipline to come to church... Don't tell me you have a discipline to be faithful in your daily life to spend time with God. It's not possible. If I can't have a discipline of an hour and a half once a week, don't try to pull the wool over my eyes and tell me you and God are tight, man. We spend time together. No, you don't. And I'm not saying that to be critical. I'm saying God desires to have that relationship with you because in this hour, you're going to need it. It's in the assembly. But see, here's the thing. There is a who that is trying to separate you from the love of God. But God says, I do want you to be separated. I want you to be separated unto me. Let me read this to you. See if I can find it. Acts chapter 26 verse 18. It says, To open up the eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sin and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That word sanctified means separated. So what does that mean? That means that in this hour... God is looking for us to turn towards Him. In this scripture where we looked in Joel chapter 2, first of all, He blows a trumpet and it says it's time to assemble because danger is upon you. But then in verse 15 it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. He says there is a second trump that needs to be blown. And He says, Consecrate a fast. What is the second trumpet blown for? It is to say, it is time to repent. What does it mean to repent? Now, see, our religious side of us, and I know a lot of us sit here in the chairs in the church, and we sit back in our pompous attitude, like, yeah, it's about time you get your life right. It's about time you stop doing that. You just need to get your act together. That's not repentance. That's religion. Repentance is a turning to God with no baggage. It's God, I need you. I desire to have a relationship with you. And he says, there is a trumpet that is blowing that says it's time to assemble in this hour because it's a dangerous hour. But there is a trumpet that is being blown that says it is now time to turn to God because he so desires for us to be sanctified or set apart. To be separated. Amen. This is the hour. This is the time. Because God is moving. The Bible says that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. But we already identified that the something is a who. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But he said, I've come that you might have life, and life more abundantly. Let me wrap it up by bringing it to your attention. In Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 27, 
actually in verse 26. This is where Peter quoted at the assembling of the start of the church when the Spirit of God began to move. And where the foundations were trembled. It says, and my people shall never be put to shame. Then verse 27, then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel or my people. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit. I will move on all flesh. On your sons and your daughters, they'll prophesy. On your old men, they'll dream dreams. Your young men shall have visions. And on your men and your maidservants, it says, I'll pour out my spirit on those days. He says, I'll show wonders in the heavens uh, and on the earth. Fire and pillars of smoke. Sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why is God wanting to move in this hour? Because he's got a family that he wants to still build. But he's looking for you and I to be a people that say, God... Oh, we just so want to be driven by our passion towards you. You realize that God is so real, but yet we have made him such a figment of our imagination. You might say, how do I have a passion for God? Because again, if we're going to be honest because of the cares of life and the busyness of everything and the distractions and all the junk of life it's real easy for us to say I don't have a passion towards God I don't even know how how do I have a passion for God because God don't seem real to me yeah I go to church but I don't really see God as actually being real in my life how do I have a passion God is wanting to meet you wherever you're at. And if all you say is, God, I want to know you. God, I want to have the want to, to want to know you. God, I want to have the want to, to want to love you. God doesn't look at you and say, well, is that it? No, he's saying, oh, I've been waiting for you to say that. And you'll find that just as you begin to open up your heart in the sincerest way, God will begin to reveal himself. Just as I'm even talking about God right now and the reality of who he is, I can feel his presence all over me right now. He's so real. And the more you get to know him, the more his voice becomes real. I remember this was a few years ago and again I'm talking for the sake of knowing God's voice and knowing the reality of who he is when I went to Bible college I sold my first motorcycle and used it for tuition the guy that I sold it to gave me some money up front and said I'll give you the rest and that was the rest of the story never got the rest of the money and so I just said God I just release it and you'll bless it and you bless him Several years had went by, and I'd already given it up to the Lord, never expecting to see the money. And I was driving home one day, 
And just as I'm pulling up to the mailbox, now again, years later, the Lord said to me, Lance sent you the check today. And I opened up the mailbox, and in the mailbox was an envelope by the guy that I sold it to. And he said, I apologize, fell in hard times. He said, but here's the rest of the money. You might say, well, what does that have to do with anything? I'm just talking about the reality of who God is. That he'll just talk to you. Hey, there's a check in the mail for you. Whoa! And see, when those things begin to happen, you'll start to re realize the tangibility of God. God is talking to me all the time. His presence is with me. He's sitting in my car with me. I mean, you're bebopping on the radio. And God's over there riding with you. Don't think God's stiff and starchy. There's coming some times, and we're not going to do it today, but there's going to be some times in the near future where we just have some time where we come and minister to the Lord. And there's going to be times where we minister to you and the presence of God is going to fall on you. And you're going to say, I've never experienced that before. What was that? That's God. It's just the tangibility of God. And you're going to leave this place saying, God, I'm so in love with you. God, I so want to know you. God, I don't want to leave church today because I experienced your presence. But you'll find that as you go, you're like, God, I'm just so in love with you and I want to know you. And the Bible says that in this hour, that all that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's not going to be your preaching or your condemnation or your rejection of people. It's going to be the love of God in your life. That people are going to say, I've got to have the peace, the comfort, the confidence that you have. And you have the opportunity to share Jesus. Come on, God is moving in this hour. And it is a supernatural hour where God is meeting the assembly of His people. Can you say amen? Let's stand. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's just for a quick moment, let's just worship Him. Let's just turn our attentions on Him. Oh, thank you, Lord. that's under the sound of my voice whether you're listening online or whether you're in this place if by chance you would say you know I don't know that I've genuinely made Jesus the Lord of my life nobody is looking around nobody's going to call you out embarrass you I'm not going to have a conversation with you afterwards and say oh yeah glad for that no listen I want right now in this moment in this hour if you've said 
I don't know that I've ever really, truly, genuinely made Jesus the Lord of my life. That I have a confidence to know that if I were to leave this earth, I would spend eternity with Him. Because church doesn't get you there. You might say, I hope so or I think so. And hoping and thinking don't get you to heaven. But a no-so experience of saying, Jesus, I genuinely want to invite you into my life. And I want you to be the Lord of my life from this day forward. And you might even say that I, I think I have, but I want to just double sure it, double check it, make it, make it known today. On the count of three, with nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand? And we're going to say a prayer together as a church. If that's you, wanting to define this moment that Jesus is the Lord of my life. Or you're saying, I am making sure that I'm doubling up. Today is my day. On either of those invitations, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. I see that hand. I see those hands, those little ones. You can put it down once you put it up. Amen. Anybody else? I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to know that I'm setting the example for my home, my family, my spouse. I see that hand. Thank you. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, but you say, you know what? In my heart, I really want to. And in my heart, I was. Once again, I want you to know that God's more concerned about your genuine desire over the extending of a hand. So I'm going to say this prayer and lead you out loud. And I want all of us to make this declaration. Because it's going to be a reaffirmation for all of us, for that matter, from this time forward. Let's pray it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to bring about a relationship with you. I'm no longer separated because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And I believe in you. Now, I ask you now, Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Savior. And be my Lord. And I ask you now. Birth in me. A holy passion. A genuine desire. To love you. And be loved by you. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 take a look at all of our social media sites which can be found at our website gvchurch.tv we know that today's message has been a blessing to you thanks for listening we are genesee valley church loving god loving people and loving life